This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention, I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash startalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, kids of all ages, to Star Talk Radio. Bill Nye here, sitting in for Neil deGrasse Tyson. And I'm here today with none other than Chuck Nice. Hey, Bill. And we are going to have cosmic queries. Yes, we are. Questions from the cosmos submitted by you to Chuck. And Chuck, you not only have the questions, you have what they want to look like. That's right. I do. What they want to look like, because these are their avatars from Facebook and uh, Twitter and what have you. And we have uh, questions from all over the internet, wherever we uh, find a home. And um, uh, before, before you go any further, go ahead. I just want to point out that we are excited to have GE as a partner for this inaugural video, Cosmic Queries. Head over to their YouTube page to check out videos of how they are bringing imagination to life. I'm talking about www.youtube.com slash GE. Yes. <laughs> we have a query. <clears throat> yes, we do. Let's jump right into this and go to Justin Connors, who's uh, coming to us via Facebook. And Justin says this, since Mars core cooled off much faster than Earth because of its higher surface area. Wouldn't it have had a much earlier start than that of Earth? That is to say, how much sooner could Mars have been habitable than Earth? Also, what kind of period of time could Mars have had to develop and sustain life? And could you compare that to Earth. First of all, this is a fabulous question. It is a great question. And let me say, uh, he worded it as best as he could, but it's that it's not just that Mars has 
uh, it's not that Mars has more surface area. It has more surface area relative to its mass. It's gotcha. a smaller thing. It has about, about as much surface area as the land of the Earth, the dry land of the Earth. Okay. And so the number that I s- hear people work with quite a bit for Mars is 4 billion years ago, it would have cooled off enough to have liquid water running around on Mars. Okay. So that would be, pick a number. A billion or half a billion years before the Earth, so maybe it is just not—it's not crazy, but it's extraordinary to say that life started on Mars. Mm. Mars was hit with an impactor about three billion years ago. Stuff got tossed off into space through Hohmann orbits—a little mathematical fabulous thing. Uh, these rocks with living things in them landed on Earth, and cool. you and I are descendants from from those Martians. particular microbes. So we are really Martians. It it's could possible. be. It could be. But well, I'll tell you it. what. Tell you what it is. Okay. It is worth finding out. It is worth mounting a human mission to Mars mm-hmm. to go look for signs of water and life. Gotcha. If we were to discover evidence of life on Mars, on that other world, mm-hmm. it would utterly change this one. In the same way astronomy has humbled us through the ages. Right. We found out that we go around the sun, not the other way around. Right. We find out that planets are, if I may, a dime a dozen, maybe even cheaper than that. Maybe. And so we're no big deal. Our star is no, our sun is no big deal star-wise. Right. And maybe life happens all the time. It would be they- worth knowing. As they say, your world is getting smaller and smaller, and you didn't even know it. Uh, I didn't write this joke. It's a good one. Go ahead. It may be a small world, but I wouldn't want to have to paint it. (laughs) So, uh, okay, that's really actually a great question and uh, pretty fascinating stuff. Let me ask you about the Mars rover, though, as an addendum to this question. The Curiosity rover. The Curiosity rover. Because there's Opportunity Spirit and Sojourner. But right now we've got uh, Opportunity running and Curiosity. Curiosity. Take it. Okay. So have they been able uh, to determine whether or not there's been any, not life, of course, but uh, rivers, streams, things of that nature? What place used to be very wet. Okay. And uh, the Curiosity rover landed in essentially a stream bed. It's gotcha. crazy. You see these rocks embedded in what was ancient mud that right. solidified into rock. And uh, and then Opportunity stumbled or rolled up to a layer of gypsum. This is the rock that looks that you make wallboard out of. Right. And it is a mineral that only shows up when things are really wet, like clays. Mm-hmm. And so geologists, you know, they just can't get enough. They're of going this. crazy they're, they're over out of their minds. Oh. But what we want to do is go to someplace if I may, even more interesting. But to get to such an interesting place, you have to be able to land more accurately. The places we land, these rovers are wide open spaces right, so of that course. we can not crash very much. Right. Yeah, because those are some expensive stuff. With- and let me tell you something, okay? Opportunity, curiosity together, about $3.5 billion. Right. Spirit, they're not even locked. <laughs> okay, anybody could just walk up to those rovers. It's weird. You think we somebody's the up key. there with the, the club keys are or... in them. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. just sitting there with yeah. the keys. Yes. They're, they're virtually bait cars, is what they <laughs> That's are. That's what I'm saying. They're like virtually bait cars. Surprised the wheels are still on them after all this time. <laughs> all right, let's move on. <laughs> I'm doing Doug McKenzie. Doug. And, and Doug wants to know this. I understand Doppler effect with sound. <laughs> But give light speed properties, how does it catch up or pull away from itself to create red and blue ships? Oh, it's fabulous. So here's the cool thing. Another good question. It's a fabulous question. This is the great thing to grasp about 
the Doppler effect. And by the way, full disclosure, my brother still dreams of starting a band called Christian Doppler and the Effects. But <laughs> his first name's not Christian, so. Oh, well. Anyway, that aside. It's like Hootie and a Blowfish. It, yes. That's right. Uh, Darius Rucker is actually Hootie. So tell your minute. brother he could do that. He ha- he's, it's totally fine. It is crazy. Okay, with this said, here's the thing to grasp is the frequency is what changes, not the speed. Ah. So it, it, it's, a, it's a fabulous, subtle thing. When we do experiments on light to observe waves, we observe waves. Right. And when, uh, if you can show or accept that sound travels in waves, then you can, uh, by perfect analogy, you'll have light travel in waves and get the right answer. So as an object like a star moves away from us at extraordinary speeds, uh, dozens and hundreds of kilometers a second, it stretches the waves of light. And so they go to lower frequencies. And if you have trouble remembering this, I strongly encourage you just to do a little Latin. Ultra means beyond. Ultraviolet is beyond violet. Infra means below. Infra is below red. So the red is the longer wavelength, and blue and violet are the shorter wavelengths. So when you go faster and faster away, your wavelength is stretched out. The speed of light's the same. The wavelength is stretched out, out, and so the color, as we perceive it, the color changes. Fabulous question. That is really fantastic. So that's, I suppose that's where we get, well, Ultraman. Who that's was, right. Ultraman, Ultraman was beyond man. Was beyond if man. the blinking light stops. That's right. I remind you, Ultraman may never rise again. <laughs> Hayata and the Science Patrol, Chuck and I will be back right after this. <laughs> Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. Bill Nye, guest hosting for our beloved Neil deGrasse Tyson. I am here with Chuck Nice. That's right. And you know what's cool, Chuck? What? Slow mo. Even cooler, super slow mo. Head over to GE's YouTube channel and get a look at what GE's up to with their super hydrophobic materials and watch what it looks like when a T1000 gets built. That's right. www.youtube.com slash GE. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. That's it. With that said, before the break, Chuck and I got off on a little Ultraman tangent. Ultraman, for those of you unfamiliar. It's a Japanese superhero. <laughs> yes, he is. And that he was Japanese was a big part of it. Yes, it was. Because he was fluent in karate. He was a giant guy. He was a he giant was guy. He was from Patrol. the Science Patrol. He was from the Science Patrol. He would, well, Hayata was his civilian name, like our Clark Kent. Correct. Takes out his beta capsule. Correct. He would become Ultraman. And for some reason, Ultraman had a light that flashed on his chest. And uh, it was pretty- every week, Chuck. There's a monster. Every week there was a monster. And just shows came from somewhere. From, from the from bottom the of the sea, yes. somewhere. A monster Mountains, would appear. Yes. And Ultraman had to be called. It's very stressful. Yeah. And it shows you uh, <laughs> uh, something about our deepest fears. Right. That the unknown and monsters are trouble. And I got to think it's related to the uh, Japanese island's uh, tendency to have earthquakes. I that, thought it was the fact that we dropped a bomb on them that was uh, 100 million megatons. Well, it was about 30 kilotons. 30, 30 yeah. kilotons. And so I think this the monster thing goes back in Japanese culture way before Oh, way that. before it? Way before us? And uh, okay. can I name the artist you dropped a bomb on me? Was it... Um, 
you dropped a bomb on me, and then you'd hear the bomb. Um, I want to say cool in the gang. No, no, yeah. no. Oh, we have my worked God. It's we on got the, worked it's on oh, yeah, the tip yeah. of my tongue. Yeah. Gap band. Gap band. You dropped a bomb on me. Okay, <laughs> here we go. With that, another question. <laughs> a cosmic query, actually. Oh, man. And just think what it was like. Uh, conducting warfare without aircraft. Now we can't imagine it. And no, the whole world, as of this broadcast, the whole world is fascinated with whatever became of Malaysia Flight 370. Absolutely. Our fascination with flying is deep within us. And space flight is perhaps the ultimate expression of flying. I would agree. All right. Let's, uh, let's um, take one from Saeed, uh, who wants to know this. All right. Saeed. Saeed. Uh, and his last name is Roshan. Saeed Roshan wants to know this. Will the earth ever increase or decrease in its size over life? Over its life. Over its life, not our I, life. Well, but. I got to think, yeah. Now, geologists, I'm sure, have pondered this question deeply. It's a question of time. Timing. Time, timing. <laughs> Will the sun expand and heat the earth before the earth has a chance to cool off. See, when you cool the metal of the inside of the earth, your nickel, your iron, your uh, molten earth core, right. are you going to, uh, you're going to shrink, but will the sun uh, come out here and hook and cook things up before that happens? I think the sun's going to beat us. As far as uh, cooling the earth off, I wouldn't worry about it. And let me remind you, one of the tremendous insights uh, into the nature of geology, the nature of our place in space People wondered, quite reasonably, how could you have evolution happen over three billion years? How could the Earth stay hot as it seems to have uh, all this time? And you can tell the Earth's hot inside when you have a volcano. Absolutely. Which we have now and then. That and the way Venus looks at us lets us know we're hot. I'm sorry. Go uh, ahead. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you're right, Chuck. I, I'm, I'm sure you're right. I've always kind of had a thing for Venus myself. I don't blame you. But that said... Uh, Venus stays really hot for other reasons. Anyway, the inside of the Earth has fission going on, mm -hmm. nuclear fission, and that keeps it really hot. But eventually, you would think, hypothetically, theoretically, things would cool off, but I think the sun's going to heat up and cook us before then. Venus stays hot because of all its carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, which is run away with the greenhouse effect. So, Venus, please, could, could that be our future? Is... Would you talk about the greenhouse effect? It's, could it be? No, I don't think so. Venus is so hot. How, How hot is it? Thank you. It's so hot that uh, the uh, ground, you would melt lead on the ground. You take your fishing weights. What? They would melt. Oh my your goodness. stainless steel cutlery would just, just bend, uh, yield. And so furthermore- like it, a Salvador Dali painting. It would be. Really? Uh, but you'd be dead to before you could appreciate it, probably. <laughs> I mean, instantly. And then furthermore, it not only, wait, wait, there's more. It rains acid rain. On wow. Venus. This sounds like an acid. environmental disaster, well, this place. Venus is like hell. And the guys who did the first in the modern era, not the people from the 1700s and the early, 18, early 1900s, mm -hmm. in the modern era, the people who discovered climate change on Earth, James Hansen. Okay. June of 1983, All right. testified in front of Congress. It was studying Venus, the atmosphere of Venus with telescopes that people discovered the real, the the real effect effects of, of, of too much carbon gases. dioxide. Too much carbon dioxide. Wow. Wow. And by too much, we're talking about just a little bit too much. Just a little. Just yeah. a little bit. And that's all we need here is just a little bit that's too right. much. That's right. And it's yes. game over. Yes. 
but I think it's going to happen even if I whisper about it. <laughs> Chuck, we have another query. I just... <laughs> oh, the... <clears throat> you know, I'm laughing because we do have a tendency to do that. When something's bad, we, we have a tendency to whisper. Like, that... That's going to make it okay. But I remind you... Right. The earth can still hear you. <laughs> We're now over 400 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the Earth's atmosphere. There you go. Even if you whisper about it. It's still going to happen. So All right, let's, let's move on to Matt Milligan. And uh, this is what Matt wants to know. Why does the light from stars go on for billions of light years, but the light from my flashlight will only go two feet? Oh no! Oh, it does What's go. Up it does with that. Good question. But first of all, let's remind us: the light year is a unit of distance, not a unit. Right. Of not time. a unit of right. It's time, speed of light times time. And just if you want to do and that, unit, gets you the distance. If you and by the way, everybody, if you're out there having trouble with your distance equals rate times time problems, just relax. Just look at the units. If you're going meters per second times seconds, you're going to get meters. If you're going miles per hour times hours, you're going to get miles. Cheer is happy. Speed of light times years, you get a long way. <laughs> a light year. Right. All right. Now your flashlight. It, I used to sit on the beach, particularly, mm -hmm. and sometimes the forest, and shoot the light straight up, the flashlight straight up. And wonder if there was somebody else out there on another planet, pick one, Rigel 12. Rigel 12. Uh, who's doing the same thing. Here's would, lovely in the spring, by the way. Uh, on It could be, That's with the Rigelians. And uh, <laughs> is there some, a Rigelian out there shooting her or his flashlight back at me? And yes, the photons do go on forever. It's just they get so dim, your eyes can't detect them. Now, in a room where you shine your light around, that light will get absorbed by your quilt. Gotcha. In your bedroom. Gotcha. Even the paint of your walls uh, is absorbed. What if you set up mirrors everywhere on all the walls and you turn on the light? Would it bounce around forever? No. Even at 99.99999%, at the speed of light, things bounce around very quickly and, and it's all absorbed. And it's all absorbed. Turned into heat. Okay. Sorry, man. Re-radiated in another form of light. But uh, in general, um, so it's still there. Away. It's just kind of uh, energy just, doesn't go energy away. Energy doesn't man. go away. It's, go it's away, still there. Man. It's just like, hey, baby, this is what I am now. Gotcha. Uh, in those terms, <laughs> that I'm might very, have been. I'm very scientific. Might have, though. That might have been how the Gap Band would have expressed it, <laughs> <laughs> or uh, people from that era. From that era. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. <laughs> I'm just something else now. I'm just. All right. I'm just an energy man. <laughs> All right. Let's move on. <clears throat> Why? <laughs> you know, we really don't have to. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, wow. This is a question directly for you. Okay, let me see. Okay, I think we might have enough time. Hey, Bill. Matt here, student at Sacramento State University, California. Sac State. There you go. When we see an object of light away from us, we are seeing it in a year in the past. Okay. Oh, an object of light year from us, we're seeing it a year in the past. Okay. Right. A uh, reasonable way of record. That's a reasonable way of record. Okay. Theoretically, if we are able to grow a tree, say five light years tall, with the aid of a telescope, would we be able to see the different ages of the tree as we look at its farthest branches? Say, for example, the tree begins to die near the ground, uh, blah, blah, blah. So the forth. short answer is no. Okay. Because you can only see it at the speed of light. 
In other words, you can't detect that it's dying out there on the end of its five light year away branch. Right. Unless you're looking at the light bouncing off the branch. So along this line, another interesting thing to interestingly think about. You say you're looking at light on distant stars. What's ever happened there has already happened. Right. Be that as it may, it hasn't happened here yet gotcha. until the light gets here. Right. And this gets into this thing of information theory. Like, although the thing landed on Mars 11 minutes ago, it hasn't landed on Mars here until the light gets here. Do, 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 do. <laughs> we will discuss this further right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. Bill Nye here, guest hosting, if I can use that verb, for Neil deGrasse Tyson. And people, check me out, because I'm with Chuck Nice. Yes. And it is fabulous. <laughs> I don't think he's going to change his name. Not going to change my name. To Fabulous. Not to Fabulous. But he could. That's no, what I'm saying. No, nah, that sounds too much like a rapper. As you know, my Ch- name. Chuck, Chuck fabulous. fabulous. What does Chuck Nice sound like? You, you know what? <laughs> A wimp. That's what it sounds like, <laughs> young <much>. man. <laughs> Certainly. He's no, nice. No one is afraid He's of Chuck nice. nice, that is for sure. And they should be. <laughs> this guy will cut you. <laughs> it's good, though. It's good. Oh, that's great. Chuck, cosmic queries. Your queries yes. from the electric interweb that yeah. the kids are using. Yes. Very happy that you all took the time to write to us. 
And your questions, this show especially, have been just outstanding. We Chuck, really have had some great questions. We have questions. another one. I you know, before we go on to the next question, very quickly, um, I just, because we were, we, you didn't finish this because we had to come back for the break, but we were talking the break very quickly about, uh, I said, I think that we're so science averse oh. in our country because there's certain people who benefit from that because they have it gives them power. Some power. It gives them power. I mean, that's just my own personal opinion. And so this is especially true of military hardware. Okay. Historically, this these scientists have been pressed into service. You know, Galileo, uh, I guess Fraunhofer uh, was pressed into service in science, uh, in the military, using science in the military, making these extraordinary lenses and stuff. With that said, science democratizes knowledge. Chuck, this may mean this more to me than it should, but it doesn't matter who shows you the earth goes around the sun. True. The man does not control what makes the earth goes around the sun. <laughs> Science is true for everybody. True. Science is knowledge outside of us. What we hope to find in science are rules or laws or thing or ways of looking at things that are true everywhere in the universe. Doesn't matter where you're from, your ethnic background, how much money your ancestors made. The man does not control the facts of science. There you and that go. is an elegant, beautiful thing. So you and I and uh, the regular host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, <laughs> are working to change the world. So everybody listening to the broadcast right now, turn it up loud as we take another Cosmic Query. Fantastic. That was outstanding, sir. Let's move on. Uh, Jerry Yitzi Sandberg wants to know this. Uh, if you could bore to the center of the earth and not get burned to a cinder, let's suspend some disbelief here, and hollow out a sphere in the, in the geometric center of the earth, how would gravity affect you then? So, oh, it's cool. There'd be no gravity. So, so you'd be zero G? Zero G. So what we recommend to you all is- uh, Get take, yourself a drill. Well, take physics. <laughs> take physics. And uh, a classic physics problem, which is every bit as much fun as what you just described, yeah. is drilling a hole, a hypothetically imaginary hole through the center of the earth, and then you uh, big enough for pick an enchanting object, a bowling ball, okay, and drop it through the hole in the center of the earth. What happens? As the ball goes all the way through. And then comes out the other comes side. out the other side. What happens? Uh, Does it shoot off into space? No. It falls it back falls through. It falls back through. Over and, Be, and, over with and no over air, With no aerodynamic drag and right. not bring burn to a cinder. Right. And this is a fabulous problem. And wait, wait, there's more. I'm a mechanical engineer. And one of my uh, really satisfying technical jobs was working on this navigation system for drill bits. This would be the technology that is the ancestor of modern fracking drills, no kidding, where you can guide the drill, mm -hmm. uh, steer it underground okay. with extraordinary precision. Like when they had this oil well leak in the Gulf of in Mexico the Gulf of, right, and they had right. to come in sideways. You can guide drill bits very accurately. And the moment you start going down inside the earth, mm -hmm. there's less gravity. Wow. And these were detected by our accelerometers. This was at a company called Sunstrand Data Control, which is now part of Honeywell. And these accelerometers, or excels, because we're so cool, these excels would detect micro Gs, millionths of a millionths G. Millionths of a G. And so when you have a shell of material, this is a mathematical shell of material above you, right. it all cancels out. Wow. And so to those of you listening who have not taken physics and have not tried this 
math problem, right. I encourage you to do it. It's a, these are both just outstanding, cool, insightful math problems that would come to us really from the discoveries made by Isaac Newton. What, what, where, where, where were you when I was taking physics? In school. I don't know, man. Man. Physics, it is all, it is all science is either physics or stamp collecting. <laughs> but that turns out, that's from a different era. It turns out now, life science is so fantastically complicated yeah. that it kind of overwhelms physics, much as I love my physics. Take it. Uh, sorry, right. I digress. Okay, Imagine you know me what? Digressing. We have a minute left in this segment. So I got Derek Wilson here who has a really cool question. I think I know why he's asking this. How accurate is carbon dating Really? Very accurate. The least long time ago where it was, the better, more accurately it is. <laughs> this is to <laughs> See, say- that's what I was about to say. I think he's asking So this. here's how it works, right. is carbon-14 is formed in the air when you are a living thing and you stop breathing or stop transpiring if you're a plant. Mm-hmm. The carbon-14 changes to nitrogen and then uh, took back then down to carbon-12. And so the moment you die or stop breathing- this process happens. The carbon-14 doesn't get refreshed. Right. And so it's extraordinarily accurate. But do not confuse carbon-14 dating with how we've determined the age of the ancient dinosaurs. Exactly. That's potassium argon and uranium uranium. And rubidium strontium will be back after this. Back to Star Talk Radio. Bill Nye here, guest hosting for Neil deGrasse Tyson. And wait, wait, there's more, everybody. I'm not here by myself. No, no, I'm here with Chuck Nice. That's right. And it's good to be it's, here. Too. It's all that. It is. It it's is. so good to have you here, Chuck. Oh uh, man, we're having a blast. I'm what are we doing time. today? We are taking what? Cosmic queries. These are queries from the internet. Well, from the cosmos, Chuck. They are from the cosmos via By, the internet. Yes, they are precisely. Indeed. And uh, we have uh, quite a few people who've actually um, written in to uh, ask specific questions of you, Bill. Uh, I wow. know that people got a lot of free time out there. <laughs> I know because they're saying, "Hey, Bill, you know, like Will Burke, who wants to know this: Are there any locations in the solar system that you think we should focus more on sending a?" mission what benefit would we gain from doing so well we at the planetary society the world's largest non-governmental space interest organization advancing space science and exploration for the betterment of humankind where we want everyone on earth to know the cosmos and our place within it that planetary society encourages missions to all these worlds enceladus Moon of Saturn, that seems to have an ocean, and Europa, which has got an ocean. We want to go to Titan, where there are tides of methane and ethane, these uh, natural gas kind of liquids. They're liquid because it's so crazy cold. Smells like a fragrant trip. Uh, And we would put sniffers on them, by the way. (laughs) Just keep in mind, if we were to discover evidence of life on one of these worlds, like Europa or Enceladus or Mars... It would change this world, utterly change this world. It would change the way everybody felt about what it is to be alive in the universe, alive in the cosmos. It would change us. And you know what else we'd discover? What? Nobody knows. That's why we're going to go send missions to find stuff. If we send missions out there, we will make discoveries and we will have an adventure. 
an adventure shared by all humankind. If you talk to kids, what are they, and you say, what's your favorite planet? They often, not so much as they used to, thanks to Neil, they'll say, Pluto. That's so true. Pluto. <laughs> thanks to well, Neil. Well, tell you what, 2015, there is a mission going by Pluto, New Horizons. It left in 2006. I was there at Cape Canaveral. It's the fastest rocket anybody's ever built. And we'll get to Pluto nine years later in 2015, and we will make discoveries that will change things. Furthermore, when you invest in these missions, Chuck, yes, you solve problems that have never been solved before. So true. So planetary science is what NASA does best right now. Yeah. And NASA is the world's largest space agency by a factor of three. So that is planetary science, the line item within NASA, which is in turn a line item within the federal budget, which is in turn a economic entity in the world. That's where we invest to innovate and keep the United States in the economic game. <sighs> Next question. Awesome answer, sir. All right. <clears throat> uh, J.D. Prevost wants to know this. If a planet had a slower axis rotation, allowing the star in its orbiting it, that it's orbiting to heat the planet over a longer day, could a planet be further out of what we consider the habitable zone and still sustain life at similar temperatures as Earth? So bigger planet, farther out, longer day. Well, let's, do, do let's, all those things factor into? Let's back up. The yeah. Earth day used to be. Before we had clocks, as far as it used to be 18 hours in the ancient dinosaur days. So that's a fact that's like 30%. That the earth is going a third slower than it used to. I did not know that. And we're here. We're alive. So you got to figure if you're farther out and turning slowly, if conditions are right, you could be a living thing. You got to, why not? Who's to stop you? Wait, wait, there's more. The planet Mercury spins two-thirds of a time for every orbit. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there are any Mercurians because it's too close <laughs> to the sun from what we understand. Right. But there's ice in the craters of Mercury. Is there some place on some other world that's turning slowly, that has some slush, and there's living things in it? I, I don't know. Right. One way to find to make sure we never find out is to stay here. Not go looking. And not go looking. Exactly. Wow. That is very cool. That is, hey, hey, JD, number one, great question. And number two, who knew that the Earth Day used to be 18 hours? Well, that's when you talk to the ancient dinosaurs, take a meeting with them. <laughs> well, really, they're the fossil ferns that are extant that are along with their fossils. Okay. You can infer a lot about... Uh, the ancient environment, and then you look at silts and uh, ice right. and things, and you can infer a lot about the, how the Earth is slowing down now mm -hmm. caused by tidal friction with the moon, and you can work backwards to how fast it must have been spinning in ancient times. Meanwhile, we've got to spin on out to a break. back to Star Talk Radio. Bill Nye here, your host, sitting in for Neil deGrasse Tyson, and I am here with none other than Chuck Nice. And tell you what, Chuck. Yes. Yes, Bill. It's time 
for the lightning round. Yes, it is. Now, uh, this is pure lightning round. That's all it is. No bells and whistles. Wait, wait. There, there's bells. There are bells. <laughs> there will be bells. So take it with a cosmic query in the lightning round, Chuck. And here we go. Let's uh, jump right into this with Steve Hoseed, who wants to know this. I'm from Heartland, Wisconsin. My question is, when the New Horizons spacecraft reaches Pluto next year, what is the mission exactly? Take pictures. Take pictures. Take pictures. Okay. Record some thermal data, the radiation, some the science instruments aboard, but pictures. Pictures that could, dare I say it, uh, change the world. Change the world. Steve, I think the answer might be pictures. All right. Uh uh, Jonathan Suto wants to know this. Bill, why do we give NASA so little money? How did that happen? If I were king of the forest, we'd give NASA more money. We at the Planetary Society, uh, uh, getting everyone in the cosmos to know our place within it and advancing space science and exploration, lobby continually to get more money for NASA, the world's largest space administration, so that we will make discoveries that will not only change the world, but keep the United States in the economic game and lead the way. Not that the United States has to do everything, mm-hmm. but space exploration is what the United States is good at. All right, next question from, I'm just going to say Ms. McNaughton, because I can't pronounce her first name, and I'm sorry, Ms. McNaughton. Here we go. Hi, from Binghamton, New York here, and my question is, what is your opinion of Stephen Hawking's time travel fourth dimension theory? Do you believe it is accurate? Don't know. (laughs) Fantastic. It's cool to think about, though, isn't it? It's riveting. And the fourth dimension is time, everybody. It's not an extraordinary thing. It's It's just X, Y, Z, and time. And time. All right, here we go with Jared Reese. And Jared is from uh, Minnesota, wants to know this. Is it possible and or probable to use gravitational lensing with a Hubble-like telescope on the outer edge of our solar system? What tangible benefits could there be to do this? I've heard that lensing could be enhanced with radio pictures. Radio pictures, maybe. Wherever there's a lot of gravity... Out, out, out there in deep space, like when you have a black hole, you can observe light, and in this case, radio waves, being bent by the gravity. And that can give you tremendous insight into the whereabouts of black holes and their nature. The more spacecraft we have out there, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Let's fly them. Fly them all. There you have it. All right. Philip Brinkman would like to know this. How do the advancements in technology affect our own evolution? Are we still subject to natural selection, or do humans evolve only artificially now? P.S. Excellent job on the debate. Oh, thank you. Thank you uh, for, the, for the postscript. Yes, humans are still evolving. The thing is, let's take me, for example. Please. (laughs) No, I had appendicitis. I'd be dead otherwise. If I run around having kids, that means those kids might have been not not coming to existence. But wait, that's part of being in a tribe. As your tribe advances culturally, uh, you have the potential for your individuals to advance culturally, and that's evolution. Could it be that if we go back in time and talk to the ancient Egyptians who built the pyramids, and they don't get any of our jokes? Wouldn't that be weird? Because we've changed just in those 5,000 years. Whoa. Nicely done. Uh, Here's what Susan Minobe wants to know. Wait, we don't get any of your jokes either, Bill. (laughs) Take it, Chuck. (laughs) Susan Minobe wants to know this. What happens to a black hole after it runs out of stuff to eat? 
Uh, that's, that's very unlikely. So I guess it still remains a very massive star sending uh, material to other parts of the universe. That's a good question. Good question. When the source of energy uh, material stops coming in, people have speculated about what happens. It, it shrinks. And what I'd like to do is hold that thought, Chuck, till you have Neil deGrasse Tyson here, who's so into his astrophysics. Whoa. <laughs> All right. Uh, James... Les Barrens wants to know this. Is it, possible to, is it possible to have binary planet systems much like a binary star system or with the gravitational pull of the star they orbit as with the pull of each other make it unfeasible? No, no, it's probably quite feasible. In fact, that's a fun physics problem. The old thing that we're crazy for, what's that? The three-body problem. Okay. So the Earth and the moon, the moon is like a... A traditional planet, in a sense. It's a gravitational body orbiting the Earth, and the Earth and the Moon are, are in turn orbiting the Sun. And it's nothing but fun to consider the Earth and the Moon as a system with a center of mass, a center of gravity somewhere between us, and that center of gravity is in turn orbiting the Sun. So we do it all day. And when you get uh, Jupiter with its four massive Galilean moons, I mean, that's like a whole binary, quaternary, quad, uh, quintinary, quintinary, a quintinary system. So, yes, it's possible. Party on. Nice. All right, here we go. What engineering hurts from Chris Knoll? What engineering hurdles prevent us from traveling faster than the speed of light? Well, it's not engineering hurdles so much. As far as we know, the speed of energy is the speed of light. As far as we can tell, you just can't go just any can't faster. Just can't go faster. You start pumping in more energy, and instead of going faster, you become effectively more massive. That is to say, you increase your momentum without increasing your speed very much. It's a complicated problem. Discovered in my father's lifetime. Not Fantastic. that long ago. Awesome. Hey, we're almost done. We are. Thank you for listening to Star Talk. We got to fly, Chuck. Oh, Bill Nye, the science guy with Chuck Nice. 